0: hello and welcome to the carmack podcast i am your host jim allen we are the podcast for the heavy duty industry today is episode number 13 right Izzy? he that's right that's right number 13 who's counting though right so today we're excited to have mr mike wagner from carmack he is our vice president of development And uh, Mike has made some changes since he's been here, just about short of a year. And uh, we sit down with Mike and talk about some development stuff and bugs and enhancements and features and all kind of cool stuff. So, yeah, you know the deal. Sit back, relax, chill out, and enjoy the podcast.
1: podcast, Mike? I'm a little nervous, Jim, because well, I have no idea what you're going to ask me.
0: You know, that's the beauty of the podcast. Uh, I don't know. I I think it was just time to sit down with you and kind of talk about things because you bring a different uh, breadth of knowledge, or is it breadth with the D in it? Definitely D in it. Okay, edit the D in later. Wait, <laughs> now I regret saying all of that. So, it's just, there's been, there's been a change, so I thought... What better guy to talk about that than Mike? So anyway, I just thought it'd be good to sit down and talk. Plus we made some uh, had some discussions at conference about uh, some of the changes and different things and goals that we have. Yep. Uh, with bugs and and all that and then one of the things i really want to talk about is helping people understand the difference between a bug and an enhancement certainly super hot topic (laughs) right so uh those are just some of the things but i guess a little bit to get kind of the convo rolling is more like about you and your background and i think some people that came to conference probably heard that sure uh but it might be fun for you to just share a little bit about yourself so sure no worries so i'll i'll go way back and maybe tell too much, but uh, I
1: was born in St. Louis, Missouri, not too far from Carlinville here, but actually grew up in Dubuque, Iowa. My dad worked for McDonnell Douglas, um, but all the family was up in Iowa, so we moved back up there, and uh, that's where I spent my childhood. Right. Um, so the uh, um, my interest in technology, though, really started kind of young. So, um, you know, I, I was born in 1966. So right around the you know the late 70s was really when um, kind of the hobby PCs started coming out, and uh, that sort of thing, and technology was starting to make its way into schools. So I went to a small Catholic grade school, and somehow we uh, managed to get access to a, an old Vax PDP-11. And so the deal was, if you went down and you completed all your math homework, you got to play a game. So we spent a lot of time playing uh, Oregon Trail after getting our math homework done. Uh, a lot of fun. So that was kind of my early introduction um, to technology. Um, you know, as we grew up, I, we had a, you know an Atari video game console, the early one, yes. Commodore vic 12. 20, yeah, remember those old things, the joystick? Do, yeah. And brother and I stayed up all night playing Asteroids on Christmas when we got the thing. Then, uh, you know, had the Commodore VIC-20 and eventually uh, a Commodore 64. So uh, got a little bit of exposure to programming and that sort of thing. Um, really, though, interesting. interestingly, I guess, when I left high school, um, I went to Loris College in Dubuque. Uh, I was a double major in philosophy and psychology. So for whatever reason, those things that always, uh, always interested me. Um, and they still do, in fact, but I think at some point it dawned on me, you know, kind of what that meant career-wise. I was either going to teach or I was going to go do clinical psychology wow. or social work or something so like that. So you're like the that. Hannibal
0: Lecter of Carmack.
1: Kind of, sort of, but I figured there was, I figured, you know, <laughs> job as like a stand-up philosopher was probably, ah. you know, not, not going to make me a lot of money, um, so I, you know, I took a couple of computer courses, really, you know, enjoyed that, um, but thought I wanted to be an engineer, so uh, my dad was not an engineer, but again, worked at McDonnell Douglas and kind of the engineering thing always fascinated me. So I went down to Iowa State and uh, started out in electrical engineering. So I uh, worked through all the pre-rec prereqs, got into um, engineering school there, and then after a semester, kind of decided this really isn't what I want to do. Uh, but what I did love is all of the programming that we did as part of the uh, engineering program. So, you know, finished off a degree in computer science in a year and a half, which was uh, insane. You know, all my friends senior year, it was kind of the blow off year, and they were out partying while I was doing lots and lots of homework and spending lots and times of time in the lots of time in the computer lab. Um, well, from there, I ended up at uh, Hallmark Cards in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, spent a little time in data processing there and kind of cut my teeth on, uh, you know, the IBM 3090 and uh, Card Punch and that early, early technology. Um, had an opportunity to come back up to the Chicago area and work for uh, and ensure our uh, uh, Hewitt Associates up there, actuarial benefits consulting firm. Um, Spent uh, you know uh, many years up in the Chicago area through a you know number of different uh, types of companies, but uh, healthcare ended up kind of being a theme in in the career and uh, event. At one point, uh, eventually ended up at Allscripts, and about seven years into that, up in the Chicago area, uh, one of my good friends who you may know, John Passione. I've heard of him. Uh, he, he, was, he was working, I was working with John at Allscripts. He accepted a position uh, as CEO uh, in this company car uh carmack and so started talking to me about what the opportunity was uh here and you know what you guys were trying to do and where you wanted to go and uh i was talking about needing a vp of uh, of engineering of development and so i raised my hand and said hey that sounds sounds like an e-company i'd love to come over and you know figure out find out what you guys are doing talk to mm-hmm. you a little bit and uh as they say the rest is history it so. is
0: its and uh, so you've been on board, what, nine months, something yeah, like that? Yeah, June 5th, I think, was my first day. So. <sighs> Pushing the year, man. It's it's crazy. That's exciting. It is. Well, we're certainly glad you're here, Mike. Like I said, I know you bring a lot of experience and knowledge that uh, definitely raises the bar for us here. And we've done a lot of cool stuff. And like I said, I uh, there was a con- our conference in October. You got up and you kind of gave your, your history and the different. Things that we're going to work on, and, and you know whether it's bugs, enhancements, and all these things with Fusion. And uh, so, one of the hot topics right now is understanding what is the difference. So, if a customer says it's not working for me, they automatically feel like that's a bug. And I know that there's some rules, so I thought maybe we should talk about that. Well, no, it's a it's a good topic because definitely different people, you know,
1: depending on kind of where you fall, may look at this differently. So. To me, a bug, and, and I guess the way we officially define a bug, is if we have built functionality to work in a certain way, and for whatever reason, it does not work in that way. Either there's an error, it produces an incorrect result, or it does something that does not follow the design that we intended to implement, that's a bug um, in, in software. So if there is something that is missing from the software, that's a feature. And I think this is where some of the confusion comes in, because as a user, you may say, well, I really think that the software should do X, Y, or Z, and therefore, you know, I want to view that as a a bug. And I'm sure we've all experienced that in, you know, email programs or you know, document processing programs or whatever we use, there's something that we, we think should be there or we think it should work differently than it does work. And so, you know, we're tempted to call that a bug. But really, um, you know, that's an enhancement or a modification to um, to functionality. Mm-hmm. So kind of in, you know, in, in the vernacular and the, you know, the way we talk about things, a bug, again, is something that we designed it to work like this and it doesn't. Either there's an error or it does you know, doesn't follow the spec, um, uh, and then a new feature is I want something to work differently, or I want an entirely different piece of functionality, yeah. and those would fall under enhancements or features.
0: Cool. So, the, to take it one step further, so if I'm if, if I'm a, if I'm a customer and I I'm pretty convinced this is a bug, and I call Carmack. What what happens if it's identified as a bug, and then if same on the other side, if if, if it's determined it's enhancement, how does that look for the customer as far as turnaround and what we do about it?
1: Sure. So um, we have a process internally. So any any new issue, let's call it at this point, that comes through support. We talk about at a, a meeting every day. So I'm there representing development. Um, our VP of, um, of product, Adam Matson, you know, is there. We have folks from QA uh, and then various representatives of, of product management. So we talk about each and every uh, issue that comes in and we look at them and decide based on those criteria, is this a bug or is, the, or is this an enhancement? Um, if it's a bug, we, you know, market is accepted, meaning we accept it into our, our bug backlog, a backlog just being the list of things that we know we need to work on. Um, and it goes, goes off into our source, or our uh, defect tracking system, and then it gets prioritized and, and fixed really in order of, um, of priority. So I'm sure if we talk a little bit later about kind of those goals you talked about, in terms of bug reduction, um, you know, there's there's some important discussion around that. If it's a feature, I guess one of a couple things happens. If we're not 100% clear on what the the feature is, or even if we are, we will sometimes ask the customer to go back and put that into the idea portal. So Adam's team monitors the idea portal. Um, we look for people to vote on things and to identify, yes, this is you know something that a lot of people would like to see, or this is you know something that's um, you know one off. And and then from there, you know, there's we, we arrive at a you know conclusion in terms of are we gonna are we gonna add or implement this. Um, and and if so, you know, about when. And the, you know, kind of the challenge there, right, is that we have to look at our entire customer base when we consider those things, mm-hmm. so if there's something that um, is a really, really good idea, but it's highly specific to just one or two customers, and it's really, you know, just something about the way they do business or whatever, I mean, we may implement that. There's not a guarantee we won't, but it's really tough to justify and prioritize that above things that say a hundred of our customers really want and need.
0: Cool. A couple of the things that I kind of want to revisit here, Mike, is during conference you got up and you and Adam spoke about some lofty goals and achievements that you wanted to to take with with Fusion. You want to kind of revisit that and see where we are, do a little progress report on that?
1: Yes, definitely. So one of the things, one of the key things we committed to was um, to have under 50 customer reported bugs by conference next year. So we have made tremendous progress on that. We are at uh, 300 bugs and change right now uh, remaining, and we it looks like we will have all of those completed within the next couple of months and released prior to conference. So that's what we're working towards. So 300 down from what? For, there were over a thousand. Okay, and so the the reason I think for that, I mean, there's you know, so there's the natural question of why are you focusing all this time working on bugs? You know, we, we have features and that sort of thing. Thing that we need so the for me the reason to, to focus on bugs is because we talked about priority um, you know a while earlier in terms of stuff coming in so if you put yourself in the position of a of a customer and there's a bug that is really impacting them but maybe not a bunch of other people um, that's going to be part of the prioritization and it's going to end up lower on the list. And if we're carrying a 1,000 bugs and that is, you know, number 950, the likelihood that we're ever going to get to that with, uh, you know, 1,000 active bugs Mm -hmm. is almost nil. So, but if we get down to to 50 reported bugs uh, and we maintain that, I mean, really we can address that in a single, that number of bugs in a single release. So what this will do for the customer base is that when they report, Something and we have that low number of bugs, they can be relatively confident that they're going to get a fix for that in the next release, and at worst, you know, two releases out. So that's number one. Um, additionally, you know bugs are bugs are causing pain for customers. So those are those things are really really important for us to address. Um, but the whole process of diagnosing bugs and triaging them and figuring out where they go and spending time meeting about them takes time, mm-hmm. and all of that time takes away from feature development. So again, once we get to the point where we have a manageable backlog of bugs, all of that overhead kind of goes away because there's you know again there's thirty bugs, there's fifty bugs. We just know those are going to be in the release. We're able to keep up with and prioritize them, and then we can focus and spend you know a good deal of time on features um, as opposed to so as opposed to the bugs. So it's a uh, I I understand you know from kind of the. From, you know, the, the, I guess the voices on the wind, as it were. You know that that folks are getting impatient and antsy, maybe a little bit. But you know, I'd I'd ask that everybody bear with us. We're almost there. I think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna meet our goal, and then you know, we're gonna really see the power of having that that reduced bug count in terms of responsiveness.
0: Yeah, I think it's always smart to make what you have work and then add. But so, just curious. So, I've always been more familiar with the term enhancement request, but sure. you're talking more of like feature. Uh, this is kind of the same thing. Synonymous, yep. So how many roughly requests, uh, enhancement or otherwise, do you get monthly?
1: I don't know the total number of enhancement requests
0: we have out there, but I can tell you. So like roughly, it's yeah. pretty common though. They come in every month that people are wanting something new yeah, in the yeah. system. I mean, yeah, I would say, I mean, there's a there's a handful a week. You and, know? Okay, so there's a few. And then my, other, my follow-up question is that, and it's probably going to be your answers all over the map, but... What kind of time commitment? If I really had this a feature, I really wanted Infusion. Today I call in and I'm like, I have this great idea, Mike. I really want you to implement this. From that conversation to when I realize that in the product, if it's something that we're going to do, like roughly how much time are we talking about? Well,
1: right, and so so the challenge is again today when we have this focus on bugs, it's probably a couple releases if it's something that we really really want to do because yeah. we have the current release planned. So if this if this idea came in and we said yes, we absolutely have to have to deal with that. Assuming it's not you know like solar shattering, you want we would want to rearrange the current release we would probably look at that in whatever the next release is. Again, if we have stacks of bugs, that may, may move that out further. Right. But, I mean, the idea uh, or the goal is that when we get to the point where again, we're not carrying that that number of bugs, and a really good idea comes in that is prioritized, you know, hey, this actually happens to be number five in the list of things we want to implement, mm-hmm. that we could literally get to that right away.
0: So generally, though, at a high level, like the process, so somebody calls in, we're going to approve this, we're going to do it, it's got to go through, like there's all these lines of code, it's got to be coded in and right. all these dependencies and then the testing and QA, so is that like... I'm probably butchering the process, but at a high level, can you kind of explain? Sure, so
1: so right, I mean, I think uh the, the only thing you missed in in there is design, and that's probably one of the most important important things. Um, it's it's a lot of times really easy to look at a screen in a piece of software. Um, you know, it looks really easy to, or it's really easy to say, hey, there's just a button that's needed there, or there's a field that's needed there. But generally speaking, those things have interactions within within the system and so um you know oftentimes that if we don't if you don't look at that stuff closely you miss that so the design is really important going diving in and understanding uh, what does it mean in terms of workflow or in terms of existing data or that sort of thing to add this feature so you get all that that nailed down and then um then we move on to the scheduling right so um really i i participate in that but really it is our products our, our our business solutions team's job to figure out where those things are prioritized but once it once it gets prioritized and in the queue then uh, development will actually begin to look at it we will do any uh, additional kind of technical um, research or design that needs to be done um, get it all coded and then it goes through a round of quality assurance and testing and all that sort of thing before it eventually makes it into a release.
0: Gotcha. And you brought up QA quality assurance. Thank you for telling me what that stood for. Cause I was, I had some weird analogies, but, uh, QA could mean a couple things, right? So there's some manual testing. There's some automated stuff. Can Mm -hmm. you give me a quick high level on that? Like, what does that mean? So definitely. So um,
1: ideally, uh, you want to automate testing. And by automated testing, we mean a computer is actually running code that is activating whatever functionality we're talking about testing in the application and recording the results and comparing them to a known state to make sure that uh, that that test passes and that that functionality is good so all this can be done without uh, human intervention and really when you have a really complex software system that's the only way you're ever going to get a you know thorough job or really good coverage in testing because it's just it's impossible to test everything that exists in in a complex piece of software in any reasonable amount of time. So we're working hard on uh, understanding what our existing test coverage is from an automated basis and improving that. Um, the other area that you want automated is, is regression testing. So regression is testing that happens at the end. So we say, okay, we've done all the development and we've done testing along the way, but now at the end we want to make sure that everything we fixed actually still works and that we didn't break anything else. So you typically then have a suite of automated tests um, that are called regression that run and, and verify the software. Um, so right now we probably do a little bit more manual testing than that I'd like, um, but we are, as I said, actively working on increasing the, the number of automated tests and making sure we're focusing the manual tests to areas that just for one reason or another can't be automated, or you know, new function, brand new functionality where we still have to build automation that needs to be manually tested.
0: Gotcha. Man,
1: that was a good explanation.
0: Well, good. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of people myself included uh, just assume that you just get up there and you hammer out a couple lines of code and you're popping in and we're good, but it I guess the point of this is that it's a there's a big process that has to be followed or
1: Yeah, I mean there there for quality there definitely is. And I mean, you know, that the tendency can be I just want to start coding, right? Yeah. And um, but, you know, over kind of history in the in the world of software development, we've learned that, you know, nine times out of ten, that results in really bad things like lots of bugs or you don't think about something prior to, you know, you don't think about a certain instance or whatever. So, yeah, there is, there is a whole lot that goes into
0: it. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm glad that's not my job. Uh, <laughs> so, Mike, so if a customer is insistent that we try to get something fixed rather quickly and they need it before the next development cycle are there quality implications as a result of that uh yeah jim that's a that's a really insightful question so you know,
1: the challenge in making those quick fixes is that we really don't have time to dive in and really understand what, what the ramifications are, what other areas of the system a fix might uh, might touch. So you know doing that definitely increases the likelihood that we're going to cause other problems if we, if we try to rush things. So one of the things I really enjoy about CarMac is our responsiveness to customers. Um, and so I don't want this to come across as you know being less responsive, but I mean I do think as an organization we need to start explaining you know to customers. Um, that it's in their own best interest, really, unless it's something that is absolutely preventing them from working. Um, that it's in their own best interest to wait. Uh, it's give us time to you know fully investigate and fully understand what the fix is, and get it into a release so that it is tested and all of the surrounding functionality is testing tested. So we don't end up you know breaking breaking something worse than what the fix was. Right.
0: Right, and reintroducing new bugs and things of that nature. So Correct. Not an easy game. Not an easy game. Well, I'm glad you're here keeping an eye on all of that stuff because, as we all know, that's not my strength. Uh, I do have one question. I'm developing a single-button clicker. I was wondering if you'd be willing to QA that. that I will definitely me.
1: QA that because,
0: <laughs> as we all know, a single-button clicker is something the world really needs. It's it It's truly uh, an amazing thing. Uh, apparatus. So, anyway, for those of you that were at conference, you saw Mike continually fumble with the clicker. Uh, so this is just revisiting okay, the old thank, thank you that old wound, ripping that scab Thank, off thank, on thank you guy. for tearing open that old it wound. It was Jim. One of the best things I've ever seen outside of my own performance. So Mike, you've been here, you know, just under a year. Uh, what kind of changes have you made? Significant changes that might uh, affect our customers more directly as a result of your leadership. Yeah, and so I think
1: a lot of that is really around process. So um, at Carmack, we we practice Agile, um, which is a, a methodology for developing software um, that really focuses on um, small iterative improvements and Delivery in shorter time frames versus kind of the old the old days where you know you would try to spend months and months and months figuring out exactly what you're going to build, then go off in a room and spend two years building it and pop out at the other end and then test it and find all kinds of stuff wrong. So we try to combine all of that stuff and really you know prior to prior to my getting here, I mean Carmack was you know starting down down the path of Agile, um, but I think there was a, there were quite a few improvements to be made just in terms of you know the kind of the the way we keep track of bugs and how we test more closely to develop the time that things are developed and and adding a test um, period of time dedicated to testing at the end of a cycle Um, so we've we've done a bunch of those things and so hopefully customers are are starting to see that in terms of quality um Definitely, the numbers look like that in terms of what we're seeing from more recent releases. In terms of bugs that are reported after the release of that, also um, around around the testing process. So, um, one of the things we talked about earlier, you mentioned automation. So we had a pretty robust automation suite in terms of numbers, um, but not a real good understanding of what actually was being tested. So uh, we actually fairly recently completed an analysis of that with some tools um, that are that are available, um, and we figured out uh, what our percentage of code coverage is through automation, automated testing. And now we're actually able to use those same tools when we create tests to focus and make sure that we are testing. Everything that the developer actually changed when um, when making uh, their modifications or bug fixes or enhancements So, um, you know those types of things take a while to filter into the field But I you know, hopefully our customers are are seeing them the numbers are telling us that things are improving so, um, you know if customers have not seen those those things yet Then they will soon as they are upgrading to the the later releases.
0: Cool now. Well said man. I Honestly appreciate you being here and explain it helped me learn quite a bit actually as well but uh, I think people be interested in this because there are a lot of assumptions made when it comes to software development if you don't know about it or truly grew up around it it's kind of confusing and it's easy to sit back and go oh my god I need this thing today and uh, understand it's frustrating because you think you should be able to get a quick turnaround, but this stuff takes a long time to do. It's yeah, sure. I
1: mean, it's you know, it's no different than any other discipline, and and I think part of it is it's just kind of it's kind of magic, right? I mean, you look at the computer screen, and you you know, you just kind of see the picture, mm-hmm. and you don't understand, you know, the the literally in in fusion, the millions of lines of code that sit behind those screens, and right. so it it is super super complex. Um, the user interface may make it probably does make it look a whole lot simpler than it really is yeah and I
0: think when you say millions of lines of code that probably blows people's mind because I'm thinking there's like I don't know you scroll two or three times and you're at the end but it is a very complex piece of software people are running you know very successful businesses on it so millions of lines of code is tough I don't even know how you start so yeah it's uh I'm glad you're here Thank I'm you glad Jim. you're doing this stuff and I appreciate the success you've been having and I know our customers do too so thanks for. Thanks for being on the podcast. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Carmack Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Allen. I'd love to hear from you at jallen@carmack.com. Thanks for listening, and if there's anything that you can think of that would make the Carmack Podcast even better, I'd sure love to hear it. Thanks, and have a great day.